0: And you're listening to Training for Ultra Podcast.
1: This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra Podcast. Yeah. It's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. I, I thought oh. it was a joke. <laughs> it,
0: it is. I thought it was one of your jokes. Yeah. It is a joke. Okay.
2: okay.
1: He's <laughs> <laughs> so classy. The <laughs> uh, Training for Ultra Podcast, and this
2: is David Laney. Oh my God. You guys literally think it would be like beep, beep,
3: beep. Mother, mother, beep, mother, mother, beep, beep, mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. (laughs) Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. 100
2: miles is not
3: that
0: far.
2: Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Training for Ultra Podcast, episode 88. My name is Rob, I also go by training for Ultra, and this podcast is brought to you by Exoskin Hammer Nutrition, Ultimate Direction, Destination Trail, and Sufferfest Beer. Again, if you want to try out Exoskin, I just did Quad Rock without any blisters. I found that if I can keep my feet dry and have exoskin socks, it's uh I've had really good success, so feel free to use my promo code T the number 4U20. For 20% off. And then Hammer Nutrition. If you need a referral code. Feel free to use my code 252888. And you'll save 15% off your first order. But yeah. Thank you again to the show sponsors. Ultimate Direction. Use their vest during quad rock. And uh, enjoy the Sufferfest beer. Back in the hotel room with destroyed quads. But you'll hear more about that during the race recap. Really quick. Patreon question of the week. Donald asks essentially, when am I comfortable calling myself an ultra runner? And I mean, taking a step back, it took me quite a while to even feel comfortable calling myself a runner. But then, yeah, within my head, my mind just uh, rationally says, whenever you run past 26.2, it doesn't have to be really official or not. I mean, it was nice officially finishing my first 50K. And that's when I you know, truly considered myself an ultra runner. But Prior to that, I did a twenty-nine-ish mile at Mohican, and you know I was confident that I could handle the distance. So I mean, it's it's totally up to you. This is a laid-back community. Um, if you tell someone you're an ultra runner and they try to fact-check you, um, okay. I mean, that person has way too much time on their hands. But yeah, it's for me. I was more of the hurdle of feeling comfortable calling myself a runner before anything. So, Donald, thank you for the question. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters. And, uh, yeah, again, thank you for last week. I, I kind of gave a shout-out to the YouTube channel as I'm trying to build it out and do a film with Matt Daniels. have a lot, a lot of new subscribers, and I'm not going to junk you up if you subscribe to that YouTube channel. Appreciate your guys' support. Enjoy this race recap, and enjoy this inspirational conversation with Ashley Drew. Thanks, guys. All right, I'm joined here by a friend of the show, Dave Bronlick. He is hiking the AT here shortly, but I wanted to bring him on for a quick, kind of help me along the race recap of the Quad Rock 50 miler, because Dave ran it, I ran it, we were both on the course, and I felt like who better to catch up with, and I wanted to hear about how Dave's race went, and hopefully he can uh, push me along with my race recap also. So Dave, thanks for joining me.
2: Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Um, yeah, trying to just kind of lick my wounds here, um, Seriously. about 24 hours after yeah. finishing Quadrock. <clears throat> Walking around today was kind of hard, but I think it's, uh, I think it's getting a little bit easier. So how's your recovery going?
1: It's humbling, you know, uh, it, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is just a 50 miler. Like you got this, you've, you've done some yeah, hundreds kind of an <laughs> and, uh, yeah. oh my gosh, that was, That was a uh, 100K, like, effort, at least in my head. So, um, I'm recovering good. I mean, we'll talk about it more, but I had some some small hiccups during the race. So, uh, Mm -hmm. but Dave was kind enough to hook me up with the early ride into the race. So, thank you for that. Um,
2: Yeah, you can thank... uh our buddy Ryan who drove. So
1: those, those guys picked me up at the hotel uh, yeah, at like four four 425 right in the morning and, and we were all <laughs> ready to go for the 530 AM start right as the sun was rising. It literally just crested. And that's when, you know, we started and
2: yeah, it was like just light enough to not need a headlamp, but that's fine. with me.
1: Yeah. I was, I was getting a little nervous towards the end. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, but, yeah, I, I pulled a Wamsley. I'm not bringing a headlamp. <laughs> um, a little little different for mid to back of the Packer. But, yeah, those first few miles were quick. They're, like, down a dirt road, and I look down at my watch, and I'm doing, yeah, probably 840-ish, um, maybe nine-minute mile to start off. Like, were you guys going out quick? Because you're towards the, you know, upper upper pack, I would say.
2: Yeah, uh, don't give me too much credit. I was um. I like can't call you out of I don't know two hundred something. I can't so, call you middle of the pack, Dave. Not, not elite, but uh, I don't know, maybe front of the middle of the pack. <laughs> you ran three bad.
1: hours at at the bad Boston, <laughs> the ugly weather Boston. So. Um, but,
2: but yeah, what yeah, were you, the, what were you guys doing early on? I did an eight fifteen mile early on, and it's easy like any race to go out too fast. There's a lot of adrenaline, especially yesterday morning it was cold so you you want to get moving to just kind of get warmed up and get the legs turning but you know you're only on that road for a couple miles and then you hit the single track and you start climbing and it's more technical so it's easier to to slow down and kind of settle into the race once you get on to like you know the real part of the course or the meaty part of the course
1: yeah and it's what was impressive or surprising to me was the caliber of runner at quad rock. And maybe it's because we're so close to Boulder or maybe it's the fear of signing up for this race. People just know about it, but we're like three miles in going up a pretty steep climb and everyone around me is running up this hill or the beginning of a climb. And I, I think I was the only one that started hiking it. Um, but yeah, I was blown away at, at just caliber of runner, but then also this was probably the coolest community, the nicest volunteers, one of the best events I've been to ever. Um, but were you running up those first climbs, Dave?
2: Um, for the most part, the first one, except for where it was a little bit steeper, I did try to you know mix in some walk breaks, but climbing is one of is definitely more of a strength for me than, you know, those technical descents, which are a big part of quad Rock. So just a race, um, I would pass a bunch of people on the climbs like all the way through. And then I would get passed by people on the descents until finally that last, last descent. I don't think I got passed by anyone, well, but, I um, yeah, yeah, I didn't I didn't on, either. Like, I would just, <laughs> there were just dozens of people passing me on the defense. I didn't know it's that about kind of you. That's
1: know. we we've done Monday runs for probably a year now. Every now and then, and I didn't know your strength was the climb. I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. Because you're probably just so fast. I never am actually like running, running <laughs> with you or hiking with you.
2: Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe just kind of the problems I've had with my ankles and some falls that I'm just kind of tentative on the downhills. And just, yeah, I guess I could be more aggressive, but I just don't think it's worth it Worth it to save, you know, a half hour on like a 50-mile time. So, yeah. you know, my number one goal was for this race, honestly, is to get through it healthy, and I did that. So.
1: I mean, I, I saw you – I want to the- say – twice i saw you twice during the actual race yeah. i saw you on a climb kind of early on i want to say like mile 10 and truly i was like i was shocked and maybe like scared to see you early it's um, <laughs> like uh oh shouldn't see dave this early like either he's having a problem or i'm off way too fast um were the were the first like 10 or 15 miles for you okay
2: uh yeah they were okay for the most part I had to use the bathroom at the horse tooth aid station which is like mile ten and a half so you know that sucked up some time and they only had this um you know two person pit toilet and a lot of other runners had the same idea so I actually had to wait to use the bathroom for a minute or two okay that's why that's why I, that's why I kind of saw it. you okay <laughs> well I mean, it's not like I was there for an hour but I was there for maybe a few <laughs> minutes more than I wanted to be. And yeah, by the time I passed you coming out of there, you know, you're probably only like 20 minutes behind me. Yeah, And then I saw you again at the turnaround, and you're probably only two miles behind me there.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. And for the listeners background, me seeing Dave was, uh, first of all, someone passed me, a uh, female ran past, said hi, like, loved the podcast, and I turned and looked at her to try to like say hi, looked down, <laughs> And I, I literally, I misplaced my footstep. Like, go, go off, tra- go off trail into like what was that small like cactus bush? And then I look up and I see Dave, and I'm like five feet off trail, just looking like a complete, <laughs> complete mess at that point. Um, but that was yeah,
2: definitely the, some uh, needed comic relief for me at I, that point. I think that's
1: that was that was my big laugh of the day, honestly. But yeah, for me, mile twenty-ish, I'd say. I just clipped a rock. Actually, you no, know, it was more like it was more like fifteen. Honestly, um, I ran a lot of the first fifteen with this uh, just stellar female athlete, um, who goes by the name uh, Junko, I, I think is her name. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just amazing athlete. I'm gonna have her on. She does a lot with um, Berkeley Running Company. But she mm-hmm. she passed me, and I was I was feeling like a little either dehydrated, but I was trying to catch up to her and just enjoying the first 15 miles of this race, which is spectacular, like some of the best single track I think I've ever run my whole life. Truly some of the most stunning, beautiful trails. Clip a rock with my right foot catch my and and I clipped it um to the point where I my left side of my body is just like thrown out of whack like my left shoulder and like tricep bicep is it still hurts I don't know if I minorly pulled something there but it's that muscle where your arm swing kind of pulls up so most of the most of the race, people are probably like, "Oh man, that's an ugly uh, arm swing Rob has." But um, I could heart like I felt almost like a pathetic version of killing at Hard Rock, where my left arm should have been in a sling almost, <laughs> and my my left hip flexor was so tight, I felt like I might have not torn it but pulled it. I would say, which then like mm-hmm. it just went down where my left. The inside of my knee was tight and sketchy, so I mentally, you know, I forgot my music. I couldn't get into rhythm at all, but right, I would say mile 15-ish was when I screwed up and did something to myself where I was a little concerned. So when I saw you and I was out five feet off the course or off the trail, um... It was nice to laugh, but at the same time, thoughts were going through my head where I was like, is this going to be something permanent? Like, am I going to tear my hip flexor? Because I've done that um, way back when I was in, uh, I think, 7th or 8th grade in hockey, which is a very, very rare wow. injury. So, yeah, when I hit that halfway section, it took me a lot of contemplating quickly to – um. Make a call there because I don't want to damage myself over the long run. Like, I'll yeah,
2: definitely, it's
1: just not worth a a, a coffee cup um, and an ultra sign up <laughs> result. Well, like, it's a pretty to me.
2: nice, it's a pretty nice coffee mug. I'm drinking tea <laughs> out of it right
1: now. So. I'm saving it for coffee tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, that was running through my head when I hit mile 25. Um, so I, I don't like to make excuses, but that's just what happened to me at least. I I was seriously tempted to, well, in that whole descent, which is kind of techy, and we had people coming the opposite direction, and you're pulling over constantly, mm-hmm. like the whole time I'm trying to assess my hip flexor, I think mainly, was like, like, is this thing just going to pop or tear, like, or is this, like, do I have to change my cadence? Is like, so I I actually just, I didn't open up my stride. And kept like a higher cadence, and I felt like it was maybe just a strain or something that I could run through. And I've dropped out of races when I thought it could be something more serious. So, where where were you mentally when I was basically cra- um, crashing yeah, was and burning the, in the front of you? Part
2: of the day for me, coming into and out of the turnaround, um, I started experiencing some cramped twinges on the inside of my Quads on that third descent, and I was running out of water and food really fast. I knew I wasn't going to have enough to make it to the aid station. And it was cool at the top of the climbs, but as you would go down, especially if the sun was out, and the sun kind of went in and out of clouds really all afternoon. But the sun was out then as I was coming down into the turnaround, and I knew it was going to be really hot on those lower trails and there's no um shade or anything and there's a lot of congestion it's not too too bad but there's a lot of people, 25 milers finishing up, you know, people heading in the 50 miler or coming back the other way so you're going to have to trail a lot so you know I was ready to get down to the aid station and get my drop bag and get some hydration in me um so I eventually made it down there probably ran out of water 2 miles away um so I was pretty dehydrated when I got down there. So I just drank a bunch of water, started stuffing my face with all the the food that looked appealing to me at the time down there, which helped. So I got my perpetuum and fizz out of my drop bag, and you know was able to climb back out of the turnaround. And that was like when I saw you, and I started yeah. feeling better. And I saw that stumble, and that made me laugh. <laughs> you
1: saw me barrel <laughs> off the trail, like, like seriously, that was that was embarrassing. Now, now uh, every yeah, that... now everyone knows about it too.
0: Oh, it's
1: <laughs> the worst. I was in the same spot. But, yeah, hydration wise that... though, that was a long stretch.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's about seven and a half miles from mile eighteen to the turnaround, and it's a big climb and descent. So, and yeah, then you have to do that going back, back the other way. And it just makes that turnaround even tougher mentally because you've already done 25 miles and 5,500 feet feet of climbing. And you're also seeing all these other people doing the 25 miler who are done and they've put in a, you know, honest day's run. But yeah. you have to, you know, find the, the mental fortitude, I guess, to turn around and saw, go back and do it all again in the other direction.
1: I saw I saw Mako out there, and we were chatting just for like a brief second, and he ended with Yeah,
2: I saw the I saw the Instagram story, and it's like, how is Rob keeping up with Mako? But so yeah, no, I, ca- I, I kicked I
1: kicked it up a notch there,
2: but um, okay,
1: I I can run with the best for ten seconds, um, <laughs> but he ended with. I, Rob, I am not jealous that you have that extra 25 miles at the end of this 25 miles. And I was just like, <laughs> oh man, that's the worst. Um, no, he, he was, he was having a rough day. I, I like having humbling days. I mean, it makes you respect mm-hmm. the distance, ever, you know, even more. But yeah, going into 25, I did the same thing. I replenished Fizz Perpetuum and then Honestly, I was a little desperate because, I, I mean, mentally I was in a bad spot. I'm like, am I injured? Like, the whole, how am I going to run, you know, Bighorn 100 here in 30 days or whatever it is? Like, hmm. like with this injury, like, am I going to be able to do the triple crown? You know, like, those low moments. And so, yeah. I, my solution was I, I reached for the Coca-Cola I had a few gummy bears. I never grabbed for sugar really that early. Only twenty five in, but that's what I did.
2: Sometimes yeah, yeah.
1: And I I knew that turnaround was crucial, where or critical like to the point where like it's just too easy to drop. To yeah, I, yeah <laughs> I was there for five minutes or less, just restocked and got the heck out of there because I knew if I was at mile thirty five, like it, the easiest way back would honestly be. Likely just finished the race. So I made sure to get myself out because I didn't think what was going on with the hip flexor was anything permanent. I thought like worst case scenario, I strained something Um, or honestly uh, dehydration too.
2: Did that hip flexor pain subside on the second loop or did you have to fight through it all day?
1: I just modified my foot strike and my cadence like so Mm – Instead of probably a little bit longer stride, I like shortened it up. Which, honestly, I probably should have kept that um cadence the whole time and never have had uh probably a one seventy ish type cadence. Like it should have always been one eighty 180 to one eighty five. But when I try to speed up for some stupid reason, my my stride gets longer, which just gives me more room for error. So.
2: Mhm. Yeah, well the triple Crown of 200s you're probably not gonna have every mile be pain free so it's good to I guess I've learned through some pain mentally
1: yeah no i've I've learned to deal with um trying to figure it out but yeah when it's at acute pain it's like okay like is something mm. torn or is this just like some angry muscles so I yeah I was Seriously, I spent two miles on that descent figuring it out. And I I opted. I mean, I, I thought I was good to go. I was not going to risk the Triple Crown for that coffee mug and ultra <laughs> sign-up result. I just it, – it wasn't worth it to me. I really – my goal going into this race was, like, injury-free. So, honestly, I mean, if anything, I could say this was a less successful race than – Georgia Death Race, because I did tweak like, my arm muscle and my hip flexor. Like, so it sounds weird, but... Yeah, DNF on Ultra Sign Up actually was a better result than Quad Rock. <laughs> um, how How was the second half of the race for you after you made that first big climb out? Like, that was just relentless. I think that was the hardest climb both directions during that race, just in my opinion.
2: Yeah, so... Um, you know eventually made it to the top i had some salted potatoes from the aid station and i forgot my gels at the aid station <laughs> the turnaround so i got really sick of those potatoes but made it to the top and had rationed enough water i think to get me down to the bottom of the next climb and' still fighting those cramped twinges and i actually remember i felt felt really good once i got to the top and i was running the downhill because i was like okay well there's this descent, which is, is relatively smooth. And then only two more climbs after that. Um, but then started feeling those cramped twinges again and realized that it needed some more electrolytes at that mile 33 aid station. So I had some pickle juice, salty stuff. I don't remember exactly, but I relied a lot on, a lot on pickles yesterday. And I actually think the the fifth climb is the toughest i think it has the deepest spots
1: that was brutal too it goes
2: to yeah <laughs> um but you know I, i've been on the course a lot so you know I, I knew it was coming and you don't get the same kind of appreciation for how tough the climb is going down and you know it, it takes you a good, good while to get up there uh you're not doing much running up there there are some spots where it flattens out but uh yeah, you just kind of have to grind through that climb and you get to the eight station at the top. And the aid station, that tower's aid station was like mile 37. Mm-hmm. You, that is not really the top. You still have about another 200 feet yeah. of gain left on those rollers. And then you finally, finally get to the top. Oh,
0: I
1: remember that a, well.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's a great feeling because then, you know, you only got one more climb. So – And then mentally,
1: mentally for me, I come out of mile 25. I'm like, am I injured? Like, is this game over? Do that whole climb questioning myself. And again, I I didn't have headphones because I was trying to be, you know, the good citizen following. I didn't even
2: know that was a rule. Yeah. Following
1: Nick's advice. I mean, he says like he can only ask for the insurance policy, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a good role model i I'm highly dependent on music, I figured out. Um, mm-hmm. but that descent after that big climb, I was running, got some leg turnover. I'm like, okay, like I'm not injured. Like this isn't gonna take me out of the season. I'm good. Like this feels fine. Again, I just quickened up my my cadence a little bit. and so the fifth climb for me was more like mentally, I was in a good spot, knowing that I wasn't like broken. And so mm-hmm. it might've been the harder climb physically, but mentally I was in such a good spot that maybe that helped me out a little bit. But yeah, knowing, knowing that you had finally finished that fifth climb and that you only had one last climb, I was, uh, I was amped up knowing like there's only one last yeah. one and I'm doing it right now. And that now.
2: last one is the easiest, is the easiest one. I guess aside from it being the last one and your legs are the most tired, but as far as gain goes, you already start higher up than you do for some of the other ones. And yeah. that trail going up there, except for like the last little bit, is pretty, is pretty mellow. And then there's only a couple hundred feet at the end that you really do have to have, you know, hands on knees, power hiking to get up it.
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was brutal in the sense that I'm like looking at this storm on the horizon. So you're probably way done. <laughs> before any of the rainbows and stuff but I'm looking at the horizon I'm messaging my wife I'm like okay is Ben my my 4-year-old is he ready to run in the finish line like you know she's she's like okay we're here at the uh here at the start line waiting for you and I'm messaging her back I'm like I'm I'm only 5 5 miles away but that's probably going to be at least an hour and the storm's like right on the horizon so for me which is actually great because it took my mind off of most stuff. Honestly, my arm swing for the last, like, 10 or 15 miles just was a little sharp-ish pain, um, which, again, hopefully will go away here. But um, I was trying to beat the storm. I got hailed on just briefly, rained on a little bit, but then I got very fortunate to crush that last five miles, like, all... From that one aid station down was just sort of a breeze? Was that the same thing you ex- you experienced?
2: Um, yeah, well, I was having trouble on some, like, especially that steep, steep downhill right out of the aid station. Uh-oh. That definitely hurt my quads. I was just like, and, this
1: then, is CCC-like, honestly. I just was reminiscing on races as I was descending.
2: Huh. I was thinking about how bad my quads hurt. But anyway, you <laughs> So it's <laughs> you called a Quad
1: Rock, right? rocking your yeah, right. quads
2: <laughs> you make a left off the jeep road or the fire road onto the single track oh. and you think you're done with the climbing but you actually have a few hundred feet in that, like a mile or so
0: that a climb with yeah yeah
2: yeah. and you don't even you don't even notice it really in the beginning because it's like oh this is kind of nice and runnable <laughs> but um yeah mile like 47 you definitely notice it and then you finally get get to the top and of that little climb then okay, now it's all downhill from here and you had like I think two and a half, three miles to that last aid station with only two miles to go. So that was a good feeling and when I got to that, that top with only like just a few miles to go and I knew I had legs to, to run it in the rest of the way. So that was that was a lot of fun. Did you for me. did you
1: cruise that road section, the crushed kind of gravel road, once you can almost see the finish line? Like were you just, uh,
2: yeah, I was, you I was it up gear? pretty well on that section. Yeah. Cause I was, you know, on the technical downhills, you know, I was getting passed and some, some guy I remember passed me before we got to the, just to the road part. Big mistake. And yeah, you know, he was mistake. moving really well.
0: Don't pass yeah, Dave. Yeah, he was that. moving
2: really well though on the downhill, <laughs> but once I got onto the, <laughs> once I got onto the road, I was able to run like nine minute pace and nice. passed him again. But, um, yeah, it just had definitely, you know, extra energy to know that the finish line was just a couple miles away.
1: And so was it a relief so, going through the finish line knowing, like, this is your last race before the AT? Like, in you're, um,
2: you're feeling good enough? Yeah, yeah, in a way, like, you know, this, and we'll get more into this, I guess, on the next, the next time we talk, but, you know, the big goal of this training block was well one, to get through it healthy and crossing the finish, finish line I knew I had done that and all that I really had to do from now was just taper recover slash taper into the AT which is less than two weeks away
1: two weeks away was it 20 2100 miles? 2200 miles?
2: 2200 miles
1: 2200 and you're going to Try to cover it in 70 days. That's the plan. Yep. That's a teaser. All right, we'll hear more <laughs> about days um on
2: future episodes Yeah, why do we hear so. about your uh, your finish at Quad Rock? Because um, when I was waiting there at the end for you guys to finish, I got really cold once that cloud rolled in, and you could tell it was going to rain. Yeah. Um, I I had a beer, and I didn't even want it because it, it was so cold. <laughs> And it started raining pretty I'll, hard. I'll edit so that what was part that out. Being
1: out there, uh, you you can't say on air that you didn't want your beer at the finish line.
2: No, <laughs> no, um, no. It, I well, it wasn't a sufferfest beer. So I was
1: looking at my watch so much going, you know, into the last four miles, like trying to go sub thirteen. For whatever reason, in my head, I thought that was a good benchmark. And then I realized, like, who the heck cares, like. Because I yeah. was honestly, I couldn't do math in my head this whole race for whatever reason. And I realized maybe at that last aid station, like, don't think about cutoff times anymore. And I was also in the back of my head, like, you've never run races worrying about cutoffs your whole life. And now, Georgia to Death Race has scarred you to the point where <laughs> you're worried about these. But yeah, uh, the last mile and a half was like, I shot just a quick text to my wife, like, hey, 10 minutes. You know, 15 minutes out, get Ben ready, and then it was just awesome. Uh, the seeing all the rainbows, the sun came out, the rain, yeah, hail. It just held everything held off. Like I'm not gonna lie, I said a little prayers. Like, you know, this is the only chance this year that I get to run into the finish line with my son Ben. I've done it mm-hmm. almost every year um, throughout my ultra running, which hasn't been long, but. I was like just give me this one finish line (laughs) like I just need this one with him because he was so excited and so it was it was really cool and I was shocked to see how long of a finish line he wanted to run but he uh (laughs) he's he's grown a lot and yeah was just a special moment moment running in and truly I'd been thinking about it probably for 10 miles into the finish was like just get to the finish line for Ben like he's super excited and you were nice enough to videotape the whole thing, which was really cool to have that Yeah,
2: hopefully that captured. turned out well,
1: uh, wasn't too bouncy. Yeah, no, no, it was cool. Um, and I, I wanted my beer. <laughs> I was cold, <laughs> but I had my uh, finish line food. and I mean, my big takeaway was how many people said hi to me during this race. Um, yeah, you're famous. No, no, not in that regard. Just <laughs> how many nice people were out there? They didn't. Half the people yeah. didn't know um, about this po- podcast. Don't share it with anyone. Um, <laughs> no, but the volunteers at the aid station, like having Kyle Patari there, like, hey, Rob, you're looking great. And I'm like, holy cow! Like he finished six at states. Like he's looking fit as hell, ready for states this year. Like he'll definitely be top ten if he. <laughs> has a smart race and he's there spending his day helping us run. And I was so inspired seeing Addie Bracey out there just crushing yeah, after actually. after Lake Sonoma taking top three overall. And that's you don't yeah, you I'm don't see it. you don't see that often. Um yeah, granted it wasn't like the most stacked race on the planet, but nonetheless when you're podium you know, on the podium as a female it just says a lot um yeah and then seeing cory win the the female 25 and i was blown away seeing michelle yates out there after her big surgery so i was just so inspired seeing just amazing athletes honestly i i was blown away just at the caliber of female athletes out there and nick nick clark puts on just awesome races and uh I think that race is a must run if you're an ultra runner. I mean, it's just spectacular trails and great community. So what was what was yeah, your takeaway? I mean,
2: yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say any better, but I love that race. I did it last year, probably do it again uh, next year. Um, it's just a lot of fun, really, really tough course, but it just makes it that much more rewarding when you do do you get to cross that finish line? So,
1: it's a hundred hundred k yeah. effort. I felt like. Uh, um, I think
2: like comparing this to maybe, um, Black Canyon, especially with the course of this year.
1: Black Canyon was and easier, and even the
2: normal course there. Like this, this is this race is way way harder.
1: I totally so, agree. I that's so weird. Yeah. So if again, in our little our little world, we try to compare like oh, a fifty miler versus a fifty miler and. Yeah, I mean, Black Canyon, Granite was totally rerouted and everything this year. But I totally agree with you. It's cool that you ran both races so we can compare the two. But I definitely thought Quad Rock 50 was harder. And it took me 13.04 to do Quad Rock. And I didn't, you know, I was limping along there a little bit. But um, Black Canyon 100K took me 13.32 so, only a 30 minute difference yeah. or less than 30 minutes? Yeah,
2: I was 11.11 so. 11 yesterday and 11.45 at Black Canyon on 47 exactly. miles of a bad ankle. And uh, the year before, 2018, I was 10.58 at Quadrock and 11.02 at Black Canyon. So wow. It goes the show. Yeah. Says a
1: lot. Yeah. Well, Dave, um, thanks for um, doing helping me along with the race recap. I mean, it wasn't my greatest race. Yeah, my pleasure was a lot of fun. What's that? I
2: said, my pleasure was a lot of fun yeah. talking
1: about it. I had enough fun. We'll have you on an upcoming episode. We'll hear more about your backstory. And I want to hear more about just going into the AT. Because that, I mean, just 2,200 yeah, miles. It's just hard to get your head around. <laughs> so have a good night. Thanks for joining me. And um, right. congrats on Quad Rock. You crushed it out there, man.
2: Uh, thanks, Robbie. You too. See ya. Bye.
1: I'm joined here by Ashley Droove. He um he's a truly inspirational ultra runner. He was diagnosed a few years ago with a very rare form of cancer. It's at stage four. And uh, Ashley and I have become pretty good friends behind the scenes, messaging each other. And, and uh, you know, it's an honor to have you on the show, Ashley, and get to hear more about your story.
3: Uh, it's an honor to have you as a friend.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, I've never had to make a call to Australia, so this started off, I, I delayed this interview five minutes at least. <laughs> I didn't know Skype needed uh, a separate subscription for uh, Australia
3: well yeah, look uh, nothing happens we're so far from everywhere that uh, <laughs> everything's expensive and a bit weird so yes
1: it's funny you,
3: you see people doing things in the northern hemisphere or you see you know people promoting a product in the northern hemisphere for ultra running and go I wonder if you can get that in Australia no you can't I wonder if you can import that no you can't so yes <laughs> Then you're you're contacting friends going, can you send me something? Yeah. So that you can just get what everyone else has.
1: (laughs) No, I've felt that. I've had a few people in ultra runnings becoming bigger and bigger in Australia. And I know endurance sports have always kind of been part of the culture. But, yeah, I've probably shipped five books to Australia, which, I mean, hats off to you guys in Australia. You're paying more for shipping than the actual book. Uh, I mean,
3: it's, oh, yeah. it takes it's some sweet. dedication
1: there to <laughs> pick that one up. But um, yeah, yeah I, I'm just I'm amazed at your story. I like to sprinkle in inspirational stories that maybe haven't been heard by um, you know many people before, and I really I I find your story inspirational, and in, and in everything that you've overcome and overcome every day um, is unbelievable. Let's hear more about when you started running and um, what transpired and, and where you're at. You know, I want to go over your whole story.
3: Well, my, my first uh, my first strong memory of running um, was running trail. And the only reason that I was running is because I was chasing a friend who was on a bike. At that stage, I was into to BMXing. And um, I ended up in hospital uh, And that's why it's a strong memory and that's because I stood stood on a stick and it it penetrated my leg and then I had to have uh, surgery to have it removed. Um, That's my first strong memory of running and then I really didn't, um, I hated running during high school when I was a a gymnast and um, they're kind of completely opposite sports, one's, one's a a very fast activity gymnastics. And the other one, well, ultra running at least is a much slower endurance activity. So very different. Um, But I think that uh, that the reason that I love to run now is because of the gymnastics. And that is I I used to train, you know, two to six hours a day depending on the day. And once that was gone, I was kind of lost and needed something to fill it. So I kind of tried bike riding and, um, I did that for hours at a time, too, but then uh once I figured out running, um I did a lot of hiking as well, but uh once I figured out running, that was just way better like you could cover a long distance, still get to see stuff, be up in the mountains, it just has everything you want, um you get to get away from everything it's peaceful, yeah, and that really happened um more when I became an adult and I went to university and, and while I was studying, uh, I just didn't have the time to get away on the weekends and so I'd just go, right, let's go and I'd, you know, I, I'd do, like you go for a seven day walk for what most people do in seven days and i go, well, I've got 24 to 48 hours, let's go and I'd just make it happen um, and i dragged along a lot of people to do that with, which was awesome. So were you That's pretty, really, oh, were
1: you Sorry. pretty uh, competitive gymnast? I mean, to go into that as coaching, my guess is you were pretty good.
3: Um, look, I'd say that the older I get, the better I was. I wasn't, as far as gymnasts on a world scale, absolutely not. I think the highest I ever ranked was um, to be the fourth best in the state. So okay. um, that's in, in the state of Queensland in Australia. Um, in a couple of other states where I competed as well, I ranked higher than that, but um Queensland gen, I wouldn't say that right now, but Queensland generally has been one of the better gymnastics states out of the seven states and territories in Australia. So, um, yeah, I, I was a long way off being really good, but I was okay. I, I pushed myself as hard as I could. I just, to become a gymnastics coach, I just loved it. Like when I went to work, I was never at work. I was just going to the gym again, like like I was as a kid, but now someone paid me. Yeah, um, you can't beat that. <laughs> I just—it's always cool. hard.
1: It's hard with ultra runners because I mean, uh, vast majority are so humble. I mean, you could have won a gold medal for all I know. It's—it's <laughs> it's just hard to gauge. Um, and fourth in the state is very, very good. Especially you said that that's one of the better um, states with gymnastics and athletics. Um, so, walk me through um, more about you discovering the trails and in life as a coach
3: so uh where my parents used to live um they used to live top of a top of a guess the highest ridge line in brisbane so uh we the ridge line we were on went up to a mountain called mount elphinstone and mount elphinstone is the highest mountain in brisbane um which before they built a house on top of it we used to climb that pretty regularly and there were cool caves and animal trails and stuff up there. But um, we overlook what's called the scenic rim and the scenic rim is um, and even from the house that I'm in now, I can actually walk out the front door and see the scenic rim uh, even though I've mean, it's not on a ridge anymore. But the scenic rim is a, a ring of mountains that goes um, from the gold coast, which people have probably heard of sort of all the way out and around Brisbane um, to the Darling Downs and then back to the Sunshine Coast. And um, it's, it's I'm not exactly sure the, the length of the thing, I think it's almost 200 miles if you went like, followed the actual mountain line. Um, and uh, so we would, as kids, jump on our bikes and go up into those mountains all the time. And, and I still do like, I still go into those exact same trails. Um, the trails have changed a lot. They've become a lot better than they were. They used to be horse trails. Um, and there used to be uh, gold mining trails um, because that's what actually opened up the area that uh, my parents lived in was gold mining and uh, you can still go out into those trails and um, there's there's signs everywhere but there's no fences or anything that say just be careful where you're walking because you'll disappear down a hole um, which is the old gold mines that are out there so um, if you stick to the trails you're fine but if you go off trail which I like to do yeah you you've actually got to watch your step because they get kind of hidden. And um, so that's that was the, you know, the trails were really close. They weren't far away. So we'd, as kids, go on them all the time. Um, not at the, not running as such, but just going out and exploring, checking out the creeks and stuff. And then coaching-wise, um, coaching really started when I went to university. I had a very different career track in mind. I was actually going to go into... Uh, initially, into being a dive master um, on the Great Barrier Reef, because I was my other passion is um, was fish kind of still is but um, so n- not eating fish but actually looking at fish and studying fish Interesting. and um, so I, it, it worked out I went to get my uh, commercial ticket and um, they said sorry you can 't there 's a um, There's a problem with your lungs due to some asthma which i didn't know i had but when they put you through that testing it's pretty full on because they when you do your dive master they make you go pretty deep and basically if i'd come back up it would have caused problems and um so then i went well i can't be that so if i can't go to the fish i'll get the fish to come to me so then i went and studied aquaculture and um that meant you know fish farming Mm -hmm. um which was great but when I started doing that, I moved to a, a different town in Tasmania. And at the time there wasn't a men's gymnastics program there. So basically there was a women's gymnastics program and it was an excellent one and it still continues. But, um, so I started coaching a men's gymnastics program. So that I, I could go and train and, and also to get, you know, males into the sport down there. And, um, and I say down cause it's south of Brisbane. Um, so, yeah, so basically that's that's how I started coaching and um, kind of always continued coaching after that. Uh, and then I met my wife at a, at a party and she was gymnastics coach. And so, yeah, we just, uh, it, it was kind of always a hobby. And then um, for both of us, it became a profession. So um, it worked out perfectly uh, as far as, you know, that sort of coaching goes. And that's it in a nutshell, I guess would be, it was, there was a demand, and just started doing it, and worked out that when I went and did my career stuff in aquaculture, um, the gymnastics side uh, didn't feel like work. And once once a full time position came up, I jumped at it. So you, you never worked a day of your life. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but um, there's certainly days where it feels like work. But um, yeah, the, most of the time it definitely does not. That's for sure. Like that's coaching. Awesome. Coaching people is just amazing. I, I had, um, I had a, a mate around here, um, the other day, he wanted to catch up and he goes, oh, I'm bringing over some maps and stuff. And I went, Cool. And that's really how I started ultra running was we'd just get out maps and go, what can we connect? Yeah. And, uh, this, uh, this mate comes over and he goes, right, I'm doing i I'm doing the guzzler 100. Oh, that's awesome. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to do that. Um, myself, but, uh, I go, right, well, let's just start organizing. So we we started going through and planning out, and just immediately I went back into coaching mode, and he goes, God, you're a coaching nerd. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, I just went into coaching mode, and we went through everything and went, right, this is where you need to be at this stage in this many weeks, et cetera. And as soon as I get into that mode, I just, yeah, I, I don't know, I turn into a different person or whatever, but I just love it. I really love it. Um, just helping people get to where they want to be. It, it's nothing better. So... When
1: do you find out or how do you discover that you have this rare form of cancer? When does that transpire? Well,
3: That, that, that transpired in December 2015. Basically, we're coming up to... Um, as a gymnastics coach, I work at a, at a school so that um, has a an elite gymnastics program connected to it as part of the, the school program. It does everything from just teaching kids you know how to have fun through to some very competitive gymnasts um and basically um we're coming up to school holidays so summer school holidays just before christmas and i didn't run that morning that that i actually discovered or ended up in hospital um but i'd hopped in the shower and i i um i had a shower and then i went to the toilet and urinated and I'm urinating blood and chunks of blood. And I'm like, hmm, that's not really right. I must have, like, copped a hit or something to a kidney yesterday, which is not unusual in coaching gymnastics. Like, you get hit by kids all the time just by accident, like, because you're, you're trying to help them do stuff. Um, and But, you know, a hard hit like that, I thought I would have remembered. But um, anyway, yeah, about an hour later, I'm at work and I'm like, oh, don't really feel so good. And um, I had to take some paperwork across and see my boss. I had a meeting with him and he goes, you don't look real good today. And I went, yeah, I don't feel real good. And he goes, you going to go home? And I went, no, I don't have any staff here until later today. As soon as I've got staff here, then I'm going to go to the doctor. And because um, stuff just doesn't feel right. Well, that just never happened. I never made the doctor. Um, I ended up waking up on the floor of my office, which is uh, the gym's, like the furthest building from the center of the school, which I guess is where most people are positioned. And I didn't have any classes that afternoon. It was quiet because we're coming up to to holidays. And um, I woke up on the floor and I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't move my legs and I was drooling. Anyway, um, finally I could kind of move my fingers. I don't know how long that took. It felt like forever Um, and I managed to drag telephone like the telephone cable was hanging over the desk so i managed to pull my phone off the desk and have it slam down like right beside my head i still couldn't you know like it's scary not being able to move and i just hit the redial button which was um my boss's pa and i got her and i said call me an ambulance and that's all i can remember and then um I could commando crawl, so just using my arms and my legs were kind of starting to work. And I crawled to the door between, the gym is two big boxes, if you can imagine two big boxes, and there's a door, a wall in between. Um, and on the other side, they were doing their last lot of exams. So I, basically, I managed to get the door open, and there was a kid doing an exam on the other side and I said to him I need help and collapsed back to the ground and um basically from there I woke up a a little while later I had oxygen on my face the the school nurse had come down because it's it's a boarding school where kids come from around Australia and around the world these days but around Australia and live at the school and um so the the school nurse had come down from the the school um, hospital and um I had oxygen on and then I kind of faded out again. Next time, I remember like millions of people being around me, it was just all the teachers and so on that were um, supervising for And my boss's PA had come across and then the ambulance was there. And then I was off to hospital. And by the time I got to hospital, I felt great again. Wow. I didn't feel too sick.
1: So so the day, de- so- go ahead.
3: Yeah, no, what were you going to ask?
1: The day before this happened, you didn't feel off at all? It
3: just, like... No, like, l- literally the three days beforehand, I had clocked up 50 Ks. Right. Ah. Like, I-, I had felt normal. Um, I hadn't felt off at all. I, You know, everything was okay as such. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I was off to hospital. And... Um, you know, they go, we, the doctor said, well, look, we're going to need a blood sample. We're going to need a urine sample. And so um, we did a blood sample and they said, right, get us a urine sample. And the urine sample again was full of blood. And they've gone, look, urine's full of blood. We can tell that without even doing any testing. Um, we're going to do a CT scan. So I went off for a CT scan. this is all within, like, my wife hadn't got there yet. I'd called her... Um, and so they rushed me off to, to get a CT scan. And uh, I had this CT scan. And 10 minutes later, doctor just walks in, casual as, and goes, look, there's masses all through your stomach region. Looks like you've got lymphoma, according to the blood test. There'll be a surgeon here in 10 minutes. It Just as frank as that. Like no, you know, leading or anything, and no making it, it was just, he was very just matter of fact and then he left the room and um, then I just basically sat and waited and waited and waited for a surgeon to turn up um, and he didn't turn up and I kept getting offered different medications to make me feel more comfortable um, and the reason the surgeon didn't turn up is because the surgeon was in surgery, he was flat out with someone else and uh, he he came maybe two or three late hours later and he by this time my family and stuff had arrived and you know i said looks like i've got cancer um looks like lymphoma anyway that the, the doctor he he came the surgeon sorry came back and um it was the first time i'd met the surgeon and uh he was a really cool guy he was full on into to running and triathlon and uh i've since found out a very keen basketballer and so we had a chat about that because that's kind of the thing that i always talk to everybody about is sport so uh, anyway, he got kind of serious and goes, look, I've, um, I've had a look at your scans. I don't think it's lymphoma. I went, righty, yeah. Cool, he goes, I'll book you in for the night. I can't do any more surgeries today. I've been in surgery all day. And I caught up with him again in the morning and he goes, oh, I want you to have a PET dotis hate scan. I went, all right. He goes, however, this is not covered by medical insurance and it's not covered by, um, we have a thing here called Medicare which is where the government, we pay tax, and the government pays a lot of our medical expenses. It's not covered by medical Medicare either, so you've got to pay for it out of pocket. Right, okay. Well, <laughs> that's when the medical expenses started. So, um, and as you know, coming from the States, medical expenses are expensive, especially when you get yes, something that's not good for you. And uh, anyway, I had this... Uh, I was booked in for the scan. I couldn't eat all day, and the whole day went past, and um, never went to the scan. And basically, the scan is was experimental at this stage, Um, and they hadn't been able to make lutetium, which is what they use. They had been trying to make it all day in the lab, but they weren't able to make it. So I had to wait till the next day. The next day, I went in early in the morning. They'd managed to make lutetium overnight as a radioactive. Substance, um, and they injected it, and basically, I went straight from finishing that scan. I said to the um, to the technician, "So how does it look?" You know, and I got no response from them. I went straight from there into surgery, into pre-op, and then um, the the doctor said, "It's much worse than we thought. Um, it looks like you've got neuroendocrine cancer." Um, he goes, "You don't mind if you lose your belly button, do you?" And I went, "No, not at all." He goes, we should be in an hour and a half and you'll be back up. Um, but it ended up being a lot more complicated. I was in surgery for six to eight hours uh, and then recovery. And, um, yeah, that was basically it. From, they'd opened me up all the way down my stomach and they'd taken out um, basically not quite a metre, so about three feet of um, intestine and tumours and... Um, they Had to call in two extra surgeons, like, yeah, it had become very full on. Um, wow. it, it was uh, basically, um, I only really worked out last year. I, I caught up with my surgeon again, and he goes, Yours is the most complicated cancer surgery I've ever done. And it was just like, Wow, okay, and so, yeah, so that's that's how bad it was. It, it makes me kind of emotional talking about it, but um, yeah, so that's basically. To where it was, and from there I spent uh, another seven days in hospital uh, and then got out, and um, that was a big ordeal to get out of hospital. Uh, I had this tube in the to feed me, and because they'd cut intestine out, they had to keep putting food in my stomach to keep my stomach alive, but they had to keep pumping my stomach um, because they didn't want the food to pass through my intestine yet. And it was the most uncomfortable experience I've ever had. And anyone who has a feeding tube in, hats off to you because I, I could not stand that feeling. Of all the, the tubes and, and monitors that I had on me, that was the one that I hated the most. And uh, all I wanted to know was how to get it out. Yeah. And when the, surgeon, when the surgeon came around, I said, what, what do I have to do to get out of hospital? And because that's all I wanted to do, I just wanted to be out of hospital. And uh, he goes, you've got to walk three laps of the ward. And I went, okay, cool, that should be easy. Like I ran long distance earlier in this week. Well, <laughs> the very first time I actually tried to step out of bed, I couldn't even do that. So, uh, yeah, it was going to be a long road.
1: I mean, do you, you must have just a naturally like super high pain tolerance, just guessing, having run so much and then, you know, being rushed to surgery within hours or, or just a day or two. From running so much, I mean, do you have a really high natural pain tolerance from, you know, growing up hours in the gym and then, you know, your
3: ultra running background? I honestly don't know. Like, cause I don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah, I can't say to somebody else that this is, um, it's you know, plan. I've had I've I've had my oncologist describe it to me, and he has said that the pain that you experience is the equivalent to someone giving birth. And I experience that on a pretty much a daily basis. Um, but geez, I don't know, like I'm not female, so I, I don't know the experience of giving birth, my wife does, but I don't know what that pain's like. So yeah, I look, the pain at times, um, the other morning I was running with a mate and when I first started running, I started getting cancer pain um, and it happens in my intestine mostly um, sometimes it happens in my chest too but mostly in my intestine and it sometimes drops me to the ground where I, I can't physically move, I just have to curl up into a ball I can't run, I can't actually do anything all I can do is just wait it out um, and if I wait it out it normally in 10 to 15 minutes is gone and then I'm okay to run again um, or do whatever I need to do that that day but that's that's basically how it comes on I've
1: had the pain is so severe you have to curl up and like just survive it essentially
3: yes essentially uh, you just have to yeah yeah it's like that
1: so you're trying to make the three loops in the hospital I mean what's what's going through your head like what's what's sort of the the next few you know events there like how do you get out of the hospital
3: Okay, so um, once I worked out, once I it was three days post surgery that um, that I was allowed to actually attempt to start walking, and before then I wasn't allowed out of bed um, because they had done such extensive surgery. They just, they were, I guess, that they were scared of me destroying something and ending up somewhere else like intensive care i guess but um i said right okay. the surgeon came and he said three laps to the ward i've gone, right so what do i need like let's let's go i'll i'll do it right now so, so i can get out and uh the first thing was just making it to the bathroom and the bathroom i, I was in my own um room and the bathroom was in that room well I had to have an entire trolley thing and two people to carry all the equipment that was currently keeping me alive to get to the toilet. And it was only six feet or, you know, 10 feet away. It was not far away. And so I had people holding me, people holding machines. And we made it that distance and we made it back. And and I was literally exhausted. Like I had run an 80K run. I know what it feels like to run an 80K run. And I reckon it was worse. And I had only gone six feet. And then, um, so then it was just a matter of building up from from that. And each time I went, I still had all of this stuff connected to me. And if you've ever seen someone in hospital with all this stuff connected to them, to make all that stuff move is it's a massive exercise. You've got to have batteries or you know everything connected. So just just start that ordeal. It takes like an hour's prep to get all the machines together to get you moved. And I had bottled oxygen to go with me and yeah, all that stuff. Anyway, the, the second time they had the physio come and go, right, we, you need to get out of bed today and, and go. I went, yeah, I definitely do. And we made it to the door this time and back to bed. So probably twice as far. And then we just kept building up from there. And uh, like three days later, I had less and less machines connected to me as I got better. And uh, I'd made it one lap of the ward, I think on maybe 48 hours later. And then 72 hours later, I'd made it three laps of the ward. And then um, like on the fourth day, I think I did six, maybe ten laps of the ward and chatted to other people who were in there. And they were all in there for similar sorts of surgeries uh, in that particular ward. And I then just, you know, like, I'd got well enough that I was saying hi to people as I walked past that were still in bed. And there there was a guy there who had had um, some, some surgery and he'd been there for six weeks, like, recovering from it. And I was like, man, I'm not going to be here in six weeks. That's for sure. <laughs> anyway, I finally convinced the doctor that I could go home. He basically gave me a list of criteria that I had to meet. And no matter what I was going to eat them, meet them, I had to eat a certain amount and I had to drink a certain amount. And I had to have nothing connected to me anymore. Um, I had to, um, I, I had the, uh, what's it called, a cannula in with, stuff coming into into my bloodstream and it failed um my body had rejected it and after it failed they couldn't get another one in and that was kind of the final thing where he went well because that's not going back in you well enough to go home and so that was how I managed to get out of hospital and apparently according to my surgeon like that was the earliest anyone had ever left that he'd ever dealt with um having as extensive a surgery as I'd had and it was just, I just wanted out of hospital. It wasn't that I wanted to be better. I just wanted away from where I was. hospital isn't yeah. a great place to get well.
1: <laughs> so how long was it until you first stepped back onto the trails?
3: Oh, it took, so once I got home, I, probably four months, once I actually... Like learning to to walk again, it took me me three or four weeks to be able to walk from the front door of my house to the top of the driveway and back repetitively. And that was using walking poles. I had my carbon fibre walking poles from from Ultra Running. And uh, I got different tips for those. I I ordered rubber tips online and had them delivered so that I could use it on um, concrete rather than having... um, you know, the titanium tips that everyone has for, for on the trails. And um, basically, I walked up and down the driveway repeatedly to try and get stronger and stronger and stronger. And uh, it, that was in December. I, it would have been late February before I was walking again on, like walking a couple of kilometers. And I had friends that I used to run with every week running partners and they would just come and go, right, we're not running, but we'll just go for a walk today. And maybe, maybe March or April, I was at the stage where I was walking from my place down to the river and back, which was, uh, that's the Brisbane River, um, which was maybe like a five to K walk by the time I was there and back. And then um, basically within by June, I was run, walk, running. And then uh, later that year, I was back at the stage where I was properly running and um, ready to, to try and race again, uh, which was my aim. I'd set the aim basically in hospital to run another ultra um, before I passed away. Um, and I say that because the doctor, when the oncologist came to see me, he said, eh, "Look, you might get 12 months, so make sure everything's teed up and and you know in place for for that." And um, so basically, that's what I did. I went right. Well, I've got 12 months to get another ultra and you know, it's now it's come. A, it's three years later, and I'm still here kicking. That's for sure.
1: That's unbelievable. I mean. And so, within one year, you got yourself ready. I mean, having gone through... I mean, it sounds like the doctor said it was one of the hardest surgeries they'd they'd ever done, and your body seems to be recovering relatively quickly, I mean, given the severity of everything. um, So, did you end up doing that race?
3: I did. Um, I ended up doing trying and think of what the race is called now. It's a beautiful race, absolutely spectacular, as in the, the trail. So um, it was in October, and it's run every October. And I seriously can't remember off the top of my head what it's called. Um, uh, Washpool's Washpool's Ultra. So uh, basically, uh, I had to drive about four hours to get to the race, and I needed a second lot of surgery. Uh, in September so this is in 2016 they did a second lot of surgery in September I was um, the pain had got really bad and I I wasn't really able to function without full-on painkillers and um, so they they decided that they could go back in and do another lot of surgery where they didn't remove any tumors but they would just um cut around tumours with a laser so that my intestine could move freely again and that should reduce reduce the pain level and so I had that surgery in September and I was back at work I think six days later Um, this time it was keyhole surgery so significantly less severe than the the open surgery that I'd had previously and I went I'm still going for this ultra like that's what I want to do and um, I kept training towards that and I wasn't going to be fast by any means. In fact, I came, I'm pretty sure I came last in the race or second last. And anyway, I started this ultra and the first 10 Ks went well. And it was a 50 K um, and it had, I think, I think it only had a thousand meters of vertical climbing. I might've had a little bit more, but, but not a massive amount, but it was at altitude for Australia so between 600 and 800 meters high. Uh, and I live at sea level, so that was kind of a bit of a a wake-up call as well because I hadn't trained for that. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed my day. The, the most, the weirdest thing about that particular race is I, I have medication that I inject, um, which is actually a, a hormone blocker and a um, metab- it stops your metabolism. And the idea is that that slows the tumors down because they need to metabolize just like a normal cell does. And um, that medication has to be kept cold. And I was like, how am I gonna keep this cold in the heat that Australia presents? And so what I ended up doing was freezing drinks and then taping medication to the drinks along with a needle to inject it. And at each of the aid stations where I had a drop bag, um, I had this medication um, available to me. But just working that out was quite an exercise. And also that I had to carry, uh, it's the first time that I've ever had to carry like an ice block to keep medication cold. Um, so I was the, if, if I needed it out on the trail, I could just, you know, use it. So, yeah. but yes, yeah, so com- I completed that ultra. I presented my surgeon with the the race bib, and um, that still hangs on his his wall in his office. So yeah, it's amazing. But, uh, quite cool.
1: What what was? Um, how did it feel crossing the finish line? Like twelve months ago, they told you you know you probably wouldn't make it um, beyond that time frame. And I mean, it had to be emotional finish line.
3: It seriously it was brilliant uh the the thing that i remember most about the finish line the finish line was coming up like you hit a creek and you knew that once you hit a creek that the finish line wasn't far away because the finish line was on the creek as such and uh, I'm, i'm running along and at the race briefing certainly at most race briefings that you get in australia is the first thing that most people say is don't get bitten by a snake and then like you'll get a minute into the race briefing and they'll say, don't get bitten by a snake. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll get five minutes into a race briefing and they say, don't get bitten by a snake. Um, and I say that because, um, it wasn't two weeks ago. Some guy was out running and he passed away because they couldn't get medical care to him. And he wasn't in a race. He was just out running on a trail. Um, and he'd called medical care and he said, I've just been bitten by a snake. But by the time they got there, he'd already passed away. Um, Anyway, I, I'm, I'm running around the corner, and here is a brown snake right in the middle of the single track. And by the time I'd actually spotted it, at the, at the end, I was fully fatigued. The only option was to try and jump over it. I wasn't going to stop before it, and it was just, let's hope that this guy is still asleep. Like <laughs> Anyway, so I jumped over the snake, no problem at all, and, and kept running. And um, I come into the finish line and I go, there's a snake that's back there. And they go, oh, yeah, everyone's been telling us that snakes everywhere on the course today. And I was just like, right, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that's my biggest memory is just jumping over that snake as the last thing and sort of my, all my energy going into doing that and then getting across the finish line and um, everyone else, you know, had already finished the race. As I said, I came in last or second last. It had taken me eight hours to do 50Ks, which... I think my um, my best placing and time for an 84k race was 9 hours um, pre-getting sick and, and coming in the top 10 um, so uh, yeah with a lot more vertical and sign so in the, the other race so I really slowed down I certainly didn't have the, the pace anymore or the stammer um, but the feeling of finishing that race was just amazing. It really was. It was. Uh, it was everything like I, that I'd worked towards, and trying to get that fit meant that you know I'd been able to return to work. Um, I was able to do stuff with my kids again. Um, I was just. I was able to try and live a normal life uh, by pushing to to do the ultra again.
1: So was was, just was essentially. This sounds weird, but was training for ultras actually helping you fight cancer or was it um, was it prolonging everything that was supposed to be taking place within that 12 months? Or was it hampering you and you just started like naturally, you know, gifted with the, you know, being able to fight, um, fight that and I don't know, recover from that? Is running helping you?
3: Running's definitely helping me. I've had, uh, I see a whole team of doctors these days and pretty much every single one of them has said, if all of our patients were doing what you are able to do now, we'd have a lot fewer patients. Um, I, I, I can't say that it's helping my cancer as such, but it's certainly helping me mentally and physically with everything else that I want to do in my day-to-day life. Um, It it enables me to live a lot more normally, not that I live a normal life anymore. I I can't get through a day without having to sleep. Um, Fatigue is a real issue now, but I know how to deal with fatigue a lot better from ultra running, I think. Um, But yeah, the, the doctors have just, I've been told, by them numerous times whatever you're doing you just keep doing it because it's it's working you know Um, I had uh, I had my oncologist um, recently say you know it's amazing you're still here I was just like all right, thanks I don't know how to take that but I'll take that as a compliment and and thanks very much and I'll now go pay your bill Um,
1: Uh, have they dove have they dove into that have they tried to figure out like what's Special about what you're doing? I mean,
3: are you? No, since go ahead. Since I started, like, uh, since I started running, like, obviously, I tried to get back into running. That was what I really wanted to do. Um, but and, and it wasn't just run, like it's just exercise. Like, I really wanted to get into exercise, and it's it's running that I just love doing. Um, but like since that time, all of the cancer. Uh, researchers, et cetera, have come out and said that basically the number one prescription for someone who's suffering cancer is not medication, it's not treatment, it's exercise. Like, that's what they should be doing. Exercise makes the treatment work better. Exercise makes you function better. Exercise makes you recover better. Um, And they have a very different uh, idea of what the correct amount of exercise is compared with what I actually do. But basically everyone, like the Cancer Council of Australia and um, they've all just come out and said, exercise is what you should be doing. It is everything. Um, and then medication, et cetera, on top of that and treatment on top of that. So, so yeah, it definitely makes a difference. What,
1: um, what type of mileage are you doing on a weekly basis? And then I want to dive into um, nutrition and food and, and how you're coping with that.
3: Uh, so at the moment I'm not doing what I'd like to be doing and that's um so the treatment that I have at the moment the let me change that the regular treatment that I have at the moment because I different treatment at different times but I have a a regular treatment which is um, a a drug called Santa LAR which is it's injected as a liquid with a massive needle um, my kids watched me have an injection the other day because the doctor came to me, rather than me going to the doctor. And so my kids got to watch me get treatment. <clears throat> and I got a play-by-play of what was happening because I don't normally watch, um, which was kind of funny. And, uh, but two treatments ago, when I had the treatment, it goes in as a liquid, but immediately turns to a solid. Once, once they mix it up, they've got 60 seconds to inject it before it becomes a solid, and then it dissolves slowly, And that's how you get the the long-lasting treatment. And uh, they put it on a nerve, and so basically my leg wouldn't operate. I couldn't walk afterwards because of where they put it. And in my stubbornness to keep running, I went and tried to run 15Ks, and I just pushed. And what happened was it just completely destroyed my legs, and I've been trying to get better ever since, as in back to running. So this week, since Monday this week. I've only run about 60 kilometers. Whereas I was running between 100 and 150 kilometers in February, Um, it's sort of a hundred, like September last year, I couldn't run more than eight kilometers in a single go. And we weren't sure why that was. It was just probably due to advancements in tumors. Um, And then I had a, a chat with the doctors and we came up with a plan of how to change my nutritional intake to allow me to run further. And um, we, we obviously got that figured out because now I was able to run um, up to 30 kilometers over a period of like the next three to four months. And I, at this point in time, this year I got named uh, Simple Hydration Team Member. Cool. and um, Which was really cool. Like It's such an honor to get named that. And I've got to put it down to Brian from Super Hydration um, helping me out last year to get me to, to really push and try and get back running even further than I was. Anyway, um, I, um, so I couldn't get past this the 8 kilometre mark and it was just nutrition we worked out in the end. It was really what it was. It was nutrition rather than anything else. And we got that figured out. And now the the barrier is 30 kilometres. And the reason the barrier is is 30 kilometres is the doctors don't know what the drug will do after that period of time. They don't know how my organs and so on will react. So um, basically I've been told not to run at the moment beyond 30 kilometres until we've done enough time with long distances up to that distance, if that makes sense.
1: So... What what are you eating on a daily basis? Are you able to eat solid foods, or like what what is that like? And then walk me through how you even try to eat while running, if that's even possible.
3: So um, I have a lot of problems digesting food now because they've taken out so much, and because I have I have tumors everywhere through my body now. Um, but I have a lot in my intestine. And they just keep growing and then I get new ones, um, which is fine, but it, that's what it is affecting is what I can eat. So I'm vegetarian and um, even within being vegetarian, there's, there's foods that I can't eat. They, they, they basically, they react, or it, it causes the tumors to react which then causes me to become really ill because neuroendocrine cancer, which is what I've got, it it's tumors that grow in the nerves and produce uh, endocrine. So they, they produce hormones. And if you eat the wrong thing, I get a hormone dump. So um, I might get an adrenaline dump or I might get, uh, so all of a sudden, you know, I'll just be sitting here as I am right now and, low heart rate. And then my heart rate was go through the roof because I get an adrenaline dump, dump because I've eaten the wrong thing um, or you know I've consumed the wrong stuff. Uh, I get exactly the same reaction like if you palpate my stomach. So I used to be able to wear like a, a pack to run with and I can't do that anymore. I can't wear anything around my stomach that's tight. It causes the tumors to, to pump out hormones. And um, so basically I've become vegetarian Um, I don't eat spices and so on anymore. Um, I, everything is prepared from scratch. I don't go out and eat out anymore because if they've added something that I can't eat, I'll end up in hospital. I tried eating meat at one stage that resulted in a week in hospital on a trip, no food at all. And I like, I I had eaten a mouthful. That was it. Um, (laughs) I have to be very careful with what I I drink. So that was the, with all the stuff that they make for ultra running with gels and um, bars and everything like that, I can't eat wheat anymore, that's the other one, which really restricts your diet for those people who are celiacs. Um, I'm not a a celiac as such, but whenever I eat wheat, there's a, I I don't get an anaphylactic type reaction, but um, yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Um, so basically, it was a matter of, we had to, or I had to search for someone who made a product that had no preservatives in it. It had to be all natural. Um, and it had to have a, a low glycemic index. Um, so all of this, thing, and once you start actually looking at labels for product, it, and you take all that stuff out, there's nothing left. There's yeah. just like middle of the aisle
1: yeah or middle of the grocery store that's all there is really
3: yeah it's exactly right so basically everything's fresh everything's made from scratch um yeah and and it it has to be the same for when I go running so I I I ended up finding a company here in Australia called Infinite Nutrition um I'm not sponsored by them in any way or anything but um they um basically they make from scratch so they said we can put in or not put in whatever you want. And so I just went, right, we'll put in this, 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 and take everything else out. And that's been working really well.
1: That's awesome. So,
3: yeah. so that comes, uh, you mix it up as a drink, um, just goes in your bottle, you go running, you drink it. and It tastes all right, actually. I, I was surprised, I, I, was, I was expecting it to taste really bad. I had a go at another product that was actually made for cancer patients. Um, and it's a a meal replacement well I tried consuming that it went in my mouth and into my stomach and I was maybe 4 kilometers from home and I just I immediately projectile vomited like the second this stomach hit this this stuff hit my stomach I couldn't stop vomiting for like 2 hours but it was and I was like this is meant to be made for (laughs) people with problems so So, testing is a big thing that's that's all
1: um i mean it's incredible how limited uh you know your diet is and you figured it out for the most part it sounds like what um what does your family think of your running what's your wife think and kids think of ultra running um are they are they happy to see how happy it makes you are they like Come on, Ashley, like cut back on the miles. They're like how how do they react to your running? Uh
3: I would say that, that everyone is supportive until I say that I'm gonna go do something which seems extreme to everybody. <laughs> That's the way um, it is for
1: me that, too, actually. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it, it doesn't seem extreme to me. Exactly. But it seems extreme to them. Um so I signed up yesterday, or the day before yesterday, for a race. Um, I haven't raced for for, for quite some time, and and the reason that I haven't raced, there's a few reasons. One, um, it's very hard to convince a race director that you should be allowed to race, um, especially if you might drop dead on their course. Um, No one wants that on their record. The, the, uh, The other one is... I'm always looking for something that's reasonably close to a hospital in a racing situation. Um, And otherwise, I'm just taking the risk completely, you know, by myself. And uh, this race was perfect. Like, it's a uh, last man standing is is what it's called, or the Clint Eastwood. And it's just a loop event starting on the hour every hour. And it's only 10Ks from my regular hospital and my regular doctors. That's awesome. So, like, you just couldn't get it better race and format however like i'd spoken to my parents about three weeks beforehand about it and and i got back to immediate reaction that's when people get hurt doing stupid stuff like that and it was just like <laughs> yeah well, i'm not telling them that i'm entering the race then
0: because i
3: would just discussed the, the concept with them um whereas previously like my dad has come out and supported me before i got sick he's come out to ultras and been my support crew etc and gone, you know, like, you're stupid for doing this, but, yeah, let's go. And uh, whereas now it's very much, we don't want you to die today. And, well, I don't think I'm going to die today, and I don't want to die today, that's for sure. But, yeah, people are just a bit more um, apprehensive about me trying to push. And, look, at the end of the day, all I'm trying to figure out is how far I can go. It's not about racing anyone else or anything like that. The only person that I compete against these days, uh, and the only person i probably ever competed against, but really now the only person I'm competing against is me, and, and particularly cancer. I'm just trying to kick it in the ass and go, there you go, you haven't won today. I won. I got to go out and do what I wanted to do. So, yeah, for me that's, um, that's winning these days. So.
1: Do you find peace on the trails?
3: In, oh, and yeah, in na- in nature <laughs> yes, definitely like that's um so twelve months ago we uh, going back a little bit further, I did an experimental treatment called um lutate therapy, so um it is intravenous radiation, so normally radiation for a cancer patient is done with a big machine and they they blast radiation at you. I have tumors everywhere. And so they wanted to try a different method, which was to actually inject the radiation into my bloodstream at a high dose, so high that for the next seven days, I couldn't actually go near anyone for fear that I would actually cause them radiation poisoning. So, which is kind of, it's, it's funny and uh, scary at the same time. So I had that treatment Um, And I had been running really well up to that treatment. So uh, the month before that treatment, I'd clocked up, uh, I think, 500 Ks for the month. I had that treatment and I could hardly walk like the first treatment. Um, And as it was, it it ended up that I got pulled off that program. Um, I I completely crashed. I stopped producing blood cells. Um, I had to be in complete isolation for 12 weeks. I because I had no immune system left, like it had gutted me, which is why it took so long last year to try and be able to run again. I literally had to start from just being able to, again, walk a a tiny little distance and, and build back up. And it was the second time, like the first time that I had to learn to run again was after my major surgery, and then the second time was after this experimental treatment. So I failed that treatment and um during that treatment while i said look maybe you're not going to live we should go and do whatever you want to do and you know so you've got whatever you've got no regrets which is basically what i'm striving for now it's just it's passing away and having left nothing undone as such and um so basically we put the house on the market and we sold everything that we could sell. And then um, we we bought a motorhome and we, the plan was to travel around Australia and, and take our kids around Australia, educate them about all different parts of Australia, get to show them everything and go for as long as, as we could go for. And we we got down to, we got rid of basically everything. We had uh, fridge and beds and everything and then we donated Everything that we had left to um domestic violence charity and then basically we, we hopped on the road and um once I hopped on the road, that was when i I really started trying to pick up the running again and managed to get all that together and um only just recently we we stepped back into a home and that was so was that um we'd Originally we'd planned to travel with our dogs, but our dogs didn't like travel. So we'd had to. Uh, friends very kindly looked after our dogs, but um, they wanted themselves to go on holidays, et cetera, And so we've settled back down for six months. Um, and I'm also at the stage with tumor growth again, that the, it, it's not a matter of if, it's now a matter of when I have another go at that Lutate therapy. And that's just because uh, that the cancer's progressing um, and I've got one oncologist who's saying let's go today and I've got another oncologist who's saying let's hold off and um, so we're just we're waiting and in between that time I'm trying to get some runs in basically uh, and and race again before we do that again because I know what's going to happen when we, we do that again, it's not fun Um, but it is what it is, and if it keeps me alive a bit longer and I have to learn to run again afterwards, I will.
1: So, I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours. I have a few more questions, and, I mean, your story is just unbelievable. I think a lot of people are going to find it incredibly inspiring, including myself. I I find your story just incredible. Um, I want to hear about your favorite time ever out on the trails do you have one memory where you're like man that was the most amazing one mile a trail I've ever run
3: I have a a recent memory so um we drove uh, the motorhome we've we've, we've, we've driven 47,000 kilometers I'm not sure what that is in miles it's probably 35,000 miles something like that um and we've, we've been to some of the most incredible places. But um, one of them was in northwest Western Australia, which it's quite, it, it's definitely very isolated. Um, in fact, Perth is the, I think it's the furthest capital city from any other city in the world. Um, and this is about uh, 600 or 700 miles or 1,000 kilometers north of Perth. In a national park called Karajini National Park, and um, it's it's owned and operated by um, the original people of Australia. Um, I couldn't tell you their particular dialect, but um, we collectively call them Aboriginal. And it's it's desert, and it's re- it's really hot, like like burning hot, um, and like. During the day, you just you, you can't do anything to try and rest. It's that hot. It's um, like forty-five degrees Celsius during the day, or, or between between thirty-eight and forty-five. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit. Maybe one hundred and twenty degrees Fahrenheit. Um, anyway, in that national park, there's a series of gorges which are considered sacred by the the Aboriginal people. And early in the morning I got up before dawn to, to go for a run and I was going to go down into one of these um, valleys and run up the valley and, and back down, I'll run up the gorge and back down. And in the gorge you have to be quiet, like that's how you honour the, um, the ancestors of the area, is you, you stay dead quiet. So I, I just went in and I didn't, like a lot of the time I will sing and stuff to myself when I'm out running on the trail. Anyway, I just kept completely quiet and I ran up, um, and when you're inside those, those gorges, it's cold. Like, you literally, you, you go from so hot that you, you want to take all your, your gear off to getting inside the gorge and putting a jacket on. And I ran up one end, and then I came back, and there was a dingo drinking out of the creek. It's the only water source down the bottom of this, this valley. I'd gone down 700 stairs to get to the bottom of this, this valley. And it was cliffs on both sides. Like those stairs were actually like ladders like your hands and hands on rails and, and feet on on ladders. And this dingo spotted me. And because I was just really quiet, I had scared it. And it just went up this cliff face like it was nothing. It just flew. I, I've never seen such athleticism. And that, to me, has still been the highlight of my running, like just. Seeing this animal and its athleticism, Um, and and I'm genuinely sorry that I scared it, but its ability to just take off and and go vertical. I I didn't know dogs could do that. Um, Not that a dingo is a a dog as such. It's slightly different, but it looks like a dog. Um, Yeah, just that was mind-blowing, and that really was special.
1: That's amazing. and So what... (laughs) You're very optimistic, and honestly, if you hadn't told me and, you know, if the listener hadn't had any background on you, we might not know that you had such a, um, you know, horrible, rare form of cancer, stage four, like, just because you sound optimistic, you sound like you're in a, a very good place considering your circumstances. Like, how do you stay so optimistic um how do you stay excited to train? And uh I I just I'm fascinated. I I'm really inspired um at how you're staying so optimistic.
3: Um I honestly, look, I have an amazing wife and three beautiful children. Um a huge network of family and and very supportive friends. And um, people came like when I when I said I was sick, I didn't know that I had the friends that I had. Like, yeah, I knew I had friends, but until you get sick to the point where you might not make it through the next week, you don't realize just how many friends you really have. And then and then you really suddenly realize you have friends. And um, the, people have just come out of the woodwork that you know, like I, like what the. the The family that looked after one of our dogs, like I I hadn't spoken to him in 10 years, and yet he just said, look, I'll take your dog for as long as you like. Um, Just that sort of support, you you can't feel anything but optimistic when you realize just how amazing people are in the world. Like, You see bad stuff on TV and whatever all the time, but the fact is when it comes down to a personal situation, Even with yourself, like, I started listening to your podcast to get motivated um, to kick myself out the door. And that's what it does. Like, I'm listening this morning to someone who was injured, uh, episode 85, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. Yeah, Keely. Yeah, yeah, Keely, like, she's injured, and yet she's motivating me to get out the door, like, and and to kick myself in the butt, and just to get going. And it's the same, um, I run with a mate who's off to, to London next week, um... And, you know, to be able to go and go running with him, and and to have coffee with him afterwards, and just have a chat like that's that is so motivating. Um, and you know, the support that people provide. You know, like I, I have a normal relationship with. Well, I think it's a normal relationship with my wife. We argue, etc. You know, sometimes we hate each other, and sometimes we love each other. Um, <laughs> most of the time, we love each other. And um, but, but at the end of the day, like I'd be completely lost without her. And it's the same with everyone else. Like, they're just, yeah, people just mind blowingly supportive. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, look, my, my cancer has got to the stage where it does get me down every so often. It's I, like right now, I can, I can talk to you and I, and I sound great. But the fact is, my midday to day, I will be wrecked and I'll have to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can go out and I can fake it, you know, you know, make it till you fake it or fake it till you make it. Um, I, I can go out and I can look completely healthy, but once it kicks in, like, yeah, I'm, I'm ill. Um, and I, I can rest and then I can, I can go and do it again. And that's, that's been the, the I've stopped, had to stop working is because I, I just can't make it through a full work day anymore. Uh. Um, but, Yeah. So like I, I try and live by, by habits, et cetera. I I get up in the morning, I make myself coffee. I love going for a run. It's, it's peaceful. There's other runners out there and you know, you smile at each other when you, when you run past each other on the road and you know, you high five people and they don't know you're sick. They, they don't care. They just think you're running and and they love the fact that you're running. and, And I love the fact that they don't know I'm sick and they just think I'm running. Um, That Yeah. It's people. It's people that keep me motivated. And it's family that keeps me motivated. Um, And and that's what I put it down to. People are amazing. People really are.
1: You're you're amazing, Ashley. Like, I truly appreciate your time. I'm going to stay in touch, and maybe we'll try to line up another call um, down the road. And we're all runners here. We all can relate so much to like your desire to get out and hit the trails and I just it's hard to comprehend what you go through on a daily basis um, all the little things that I take for granted um, I need to appreciate a lot more but let's stay in touch, I'll make sure to mail you out a book now that you have um, a permanent address and uh, I'm going to try to put together uh, at the end of 2019 this year a top 10 most inspirational ultra runner award um and i just want to not necessarily pick the the most and you know the number one most inspirational i just want to have 10 people that are recognized for being such an inspiration and i can already pretty much guarantee you that you will be one of those 10 so enjoy your training stay strong during those low moments and uh yeah we'll definitely stay in touch
3: Excellent. Thank you very much, and thank you for everything that you do for the running community.
0: It is huge. Oh, absolutely. Thank you.
1: Thank you again to Ashley for taking all his time to share just an amazing story truly truly inspirational thank you to dave for taking time to do the race recap with me hope you guys got some cool insights there thank you to the patreon supporters and donald thank you for your question and thank you again to exoskin hammer nutrition ultimate direction destination trail and sufferfest beer don't forget to enjoy your training have a good week see you guys